Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd. For today's story, we turn to the childhood of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. After Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was born, the women from a nearby tribe arrived to the city of Makkah Mukarramah to receive the newborns. This was a practice that existed in the Arabian culture primarily to save the children from the diseases in busy cities. People would travel north and south and they would arrive at these big cities with different illnesses and different diseases, children still being young, weak immune systems. So to protect them from these illnesses and so they could also be exposed to pure Arabic language without it being mixed with the colloquial usage of words. Again, in big cities, people have a way of um, using language that is, is very modern and very appropriate for that place. But it may not be true to the more traditional sense of the language, which lingers on for longer in the outskirts of the cities, in the Bedouin lands. So a group of people arrived in Makkah Mukarramah with this very intention to take these children from their parents with their permission, with their blessings, and they would take them with them for multiple years. And the goal would be that these children would then grow up in the Bedouin lands, far away from disease, living a very wholesome, pure, clean life, being exposed to a pristine culture that the Arabs took pride in. One of the women who was in that caravan was named Halima Saadiyah. Her story is fascinating and she shares it in her own words that we left our Bedouin land and we began to travel to Makkah Mukarramah. On this journey with her was her husband and her young child. Unfortunately, that particular time was one of drought. So the lands had gone barren. As a result of that, people were malnourished she herself did not have much to eat and 
As a result of that, she couldn't produce milk to provide for her own young infant. So she says that when we took on this journey, the child cried the entire time. We did not even sleep for one moment. Night after night, day after day, the child is crying. I had no milk to give to the child. And then when I turned to the animals that we were traveling with, they were also dry. There was nothing in them. The animals were, um, were, were themselves malnourished. So the animals are thin, they're weak. She herself uh, lacks the nutrition to provide for her child. So throughout the night, the child continued to cry and cry and cry. And for a mother, you can't imagine how difficult this is. Just seeing your child cry is hard. And then knowing that the child is crying because you can't produce and provide for that child makes it that much more difficult. Because you turn it to yourself, you begin to blame yourself that what if it's me, what if it's me? On one animal, it's Halima Saadia and her young child. And on the second animal is her husband. Now the thing with these two animals, the animals themselves were very weak. And her animals in particular were weaker than all the other animals in the caravan. So they kept falling behind. And the entire caravan of people were kind of frustrated that, come on man, speed it up, we're trying to get to Mecca. Speed it up, we're trying to get to Mecca. Finally, they arrive in Mecca Mukarramah. This place that she is from is referred to as Banu Saad. Geographically on a map, if you're trying to pinpoint it, you would find Mecca Mukarramah, and then south of Mecca is Taif. So if you pull out your phone, if you have one with you, it's a good idea to Google map it, to get an idea geographically where it is. I'm not sure if people know where this, um, where this tribe was actually located. If you look south of Makkah Mukarramah, you'll find in the mountains a place called Taif. And then further south and east of that, you will see the uh, tribe of Banu Saad. Not, just a little north of a place called Maysan. Mim ya sin alif nun. If you have the Arabic uh, keyboard on your phone, you can pop that in Google and it'll pop right up. Maysan. And just when you, when you open that place up to the northern, just a little northeast of there, a tad bit, is where Banu Saad is from. And it's fascinating, and I'll talk about this more towards the end when we speak of where Halima Saadiya is buried. Because there's a different opinion among the scholars. Some historians have claimed that her grave is in Baqiya. And if you go to Medina Munawwara till today, you will find a grave marked, and all historians will tell you that it is there that she is buried. But the more um, sort of researched position is that she is actually buried near Maysan. There's a graveyard there, and that's where she is buried. As for in Banu Saad, there are areas marked till today of where her house was. It's an untouched place. There was never a big civilization there. There was never a big community there. Small little area, and there are a few houses there, and the house of Halima Saadiya is marked until today. So these people, they arrive from Banu, Banu, Banu Saad to Makkah Mukarramah. When they arrive there, every person has one intention. All the women in the tribe. We want to find children to take them back home with us. We will nurse them. The nursing period is two years. We will look after them for two years and then take them back to their families. 
Ideally, you want to build a relationship with a wealthy family from a higher tribe so that not only will they compensate you for your time and take care of you, but they will be even further generous. They will provide above and beyond. And therefore, now you have this blessing in your life that you can provide for your family. And for many of these women, they were raising their own children. So they were going to raise one child. They would go to Makkah Mukarramah, pick up a second child. They're already nursing one, now they can nurse two. They're already raising one, will go ahead and raise two or raise three children. Two days pass by. Halima Saadiya says, everyone found their baby except for me. And during these two days, while we were going through Makkah and looking for the newborns, there was an orphan passed on to every, child, every one of those women and they all turned away from that orphan. Because without a father, who will provide? Who will give extra? Who will take care of you? So one by one, they passed up, passed up, passed up. You can't imagine how hard this must have been for their mother of Rasulullah Amina. If you've ever taken your kids to a park and all the other kids are playing and you tell them, why don't you go play soccer with them? And they're picking teams and your child is the last one to get picked, it hurts. All the other kids are playing basketball and your child is the last one to get picked, it hurts a little bit. And sometimes, not only do they pick your kid last, then they say, your goalkeeper. That's like the ultimate insult. That not only are they not letting you play in the outfield, they barely picked you, and now that they have picked you, they're dumping you straight on the goal. Where there's minimal movement, and the defender's job is to make sure you are never involved in the game. So as a parent, Amina must have been so overwhelmed. The caravan is ready to head back. Halima Saadiya is the last one left. So she says to her husband that inni la akrahu an arji'a ila manazilina ila manazilina wa alqa bani qawmi khawiyat al-wifad duna an akhdha radhi'an that falaysa fi suwayhibati imra'atun illa wa ma'aha radhi'un she says i don't want to go back home empty-handed i don't want to go back with anything that we go back home um, and all we come back with is khawiyat al-wifad. Khawiyat al-wifad means nothing. Wifad refers to the, the leather that they would put under the, um, under the grinder when they would grind their wheat and barley and it would catch the bottom. So that my, my wifad is empty, there's nothing there. I don't want to go back empty-handed. And all my other friends and all my colleagues, they all have a child with them. Wallahi la adhabanna ila yatim wa la I'm going to grab that orphan. I'm going to take that orphan with me. Halima Saadia had no idea how intelligent of a choice that was. How her taqdeer was about to change, how her future was about to change. And that legendary move of hers, of not abandoning that orphan, would pay off in ways that she could never imagine and 1400 years later, people would be remembering her in Carrollton, Texas. Because she didn't abandon the orphan. Because she trusted Rasulullah And it's a, a point of reflection for us all, something for us to consider. That how often do we pass up on people because they don't seem special? 
someone comes to the Arabic class and they're reading part part Arabi. Like they were making mistakes here, making mistakes there. Fail, fail, maful is all one. They're reading Madi with Dhamma. Fa'alu. Wow, that's Jama'ah. It's the Wahid Fa'alu. Now the teacher, when he hears that on day one, he must think, man, this is a special breed of dummy. Like they are dummies. This is a special breed right here. It's easy to give up on people because they're not talented. But you don't give up on them. You never give up because you have no idea which person will be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have no idea who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept. And Allah doesn't accept based off of talent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts based off of ikhlas. Halima Sa'diya wasn't the wealthiest of her people that Rasulullah went to her. She was tested in that moment. Her child couldn't sleep. Imagine how frustrated and worked up she must have been as a human being, just as an individual in that caravan. But in that moment, she says, I am going to trust this orphan. I'm going to take this orphan home. And her husband, when he hears this, he says to her, La ba'sa alayki khudihi fa'asa an yaj'alallahu fihi khayra fadhahabtu ila ummihi wa akhattuhu. Her husband supports her. Then, no, let's do this. You trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that khayr will come from picking up this orphan, and so do I. Never give up hope on any person. If a person is going through a divorce, 10 people will say, he was a horrible person, she was a horrible person. Don't be those 10 people. Be the 11th one. Be the unique one. Who was able to see potential in those people and doesn't just strike them off because they went through a divorce or because they had a bad business transaction or maybe at some point of their life they made a mistake or someone that might have had an addiction. It's so easy for us. We are such a judgmental group of people that the moment someone slips up, we write them off. A horrible human being. But when it comes to ourselves, we want everyone to give us not a hundred excuses, a million excuses. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. The reason why I didn't make it to Fajr Salah, do you even know what I went through the night before? And it may be a very valid excuse. But just as you want excuses for yourself, just as you want people to invest in you, just as you want people to trust you, you need to reach out to people around you and trust them as well. You don't turn people away. You have no idea which person will walk ahead and march in the future. You look at some of the greatest muhaddithun. They were orphans. Either at birth or at a young age. Imam Bukhari, his father, father wasn't around for too long in his life. Imam Malik, his father also wasn't allowed around too long in his life. Imam Hanif, his father wasn't around for too long as well. They all passed away at a young age. I mean, when, when their children were still young. Imam Ghazali, same thing. And then you go even further back to the Tabi'un period. Some of the greatest scholars of hadith that narrate from the Sahaba and that narrate from the Tabi'un were all slaves actually. They were freed slaves. And the moment they were freed, they left the dunya that they had desired their entire life. And when they gained freedom, they went to the madrasa of hadith. That we're going to dedicate our lives studying hadith. These were people that you expected it the least from. Salahuddin Ayyubi, when he was born, that day his father was expelled from the fort. The fort they lived in. And someone said at that point that this child will be bad fortune for us. That the day he was born is the day we were expelled. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote otherwise. 
He opened up so many forts after that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala liberated Quds at his hands. And the stories continue. How many stories do you want of people who had nothing running for them, but then someone trusted them? Someone believed in them. Someone said to them that you can do it. And when you give that trust to someone, when you believe in someone, when you invest in someone, when you do it purely for the barakah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings, you will see how Allah not only accepts from you, but will instill a confidence in that person's heart that they will run ahead of the world. One of my good friends, senior scholar in Chicago, he was sharing a story with me. And this particular story I had heard from my own teachers, by the way. But the teachers that I had heard it from, they were sharing it from someone else who read it in a book, who may have heard it from that person. But the sheikh that I met in Chicago was a direct student of the sheikh. And he said that the, the sheikh, Sheikh Siddiq, he shared this uh, story with him directly. That when he was young, the sheikh, when he was young, he had this desire to study ilm. He had some sisters that were physically not well. So the mother, she said to her son, you can go and study. I gave you permission to go, but I won't be able to um, provide for you. If you want to study, you can go on your own, but I can't provide for you in any way at all. I'm busy looking after the, your sisters. So they agreed to this. He went to the madrasa. He asked the madrasa, may I study here? They said, you can study for free, but we can't give you food because the food is paid for. You can stay here for free, you can take all the classes for free, but the food is a paid service. So he agreed. He says, I studied there, and when it was lunchtime, I would go to sleep or go for a walk. I didn't have any food. I went to the village nearby, there was a Hindu man there, and he agreed to employ me on the condition that I would bring him two buckets of water. So I had to carry these two metal buckets across the village, far out there was a well. He was skinny and scrawny himself. He said, I would walk all the way, fill up two buckets of water from the well, and then come all the way back. It was so hard. I would sit down halfway through the walk and just start crying. That, Ya Allah, it's too hard. And at the end of that, he would give him one or two rotis, one or two pieces of bread, after walking with those buckets. One day he says, I was... I came back to the house and I was at the step and I tripped and the water fell. And I cried and cried in front of Allah that, Ya Allah, make it easy for me. Make the path to seeking Ali bearable for me. He continued this for years, by the way, for years. Then another kid from his village came. He was also poor. Madrasa told him the same thing, that you can study for free, you can stay for free, but however, the food won't be available to you. So the student was about to head back home. How am I going to study without food? So Sheikh Siddiq said to him, Sheikh Siddiq Bandi said to him, that no, no, you study, I'll provide for you. And he would take the one roti he had, break it in half, give half to him, eat half himself. And for years this continued. I had the honor of uh, meeting him when I was very young. He was a true scholar of Sunnah. Such a powerful personality that when he arrived, it's as if the whole city would turn upside down that Sheikh Siddiq has arrived. And his story was what? The most unexpected person to ever uh, to study the deen. And the examples of this are, I kid you not, countless. 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks for people that have ikhlas. He looks for, Allah gives these righteous children to parents who are mukhlis, who trust Allah. You go to the parents of some of these scholars and some of, their teach, some of these teachers that we have, you go to their parents, simple people. And you ask them that what special tarbiyah did you do of your child to turn them into this great alim? You know what most of those parents will say? No idea. I have no idea. I didn't do anything special. I didn't send them to any special college, didn't give them any special tutoring. It's the father of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in reality, those parents, if you look at their lives, you will find them, they were selfless people. Just buried themselves in khidmah, relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Spent hours of their nights crying and saying, Ya Allah, accept one of my children too. Accept one of my kids as well. And it's in those du'as and in that sacrifice that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from them. So never turn away from opportunity. That's the lesson from Halima Saadiyah's story. You don't turn away. When everyone turns away, you turn towards. If you see a person sitting alone somewhere, don't abandon them. You go to them. If there are people in a gathering and everyone's having fun, you can enjoy that gathering, but then go look for people that are sitting in the corners. People that others haven't noticed yet. Those that are failing classes, go and sit with them. Those that are struggling to make a living, go and sit with them. Give them himma, give them hope. People who lived very rough lives will make that change because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that controls the hearts. I was traveling recently and I was in a city. I met this young man and the khidmah that he did of his parents, it really touched my heart. The way he respected his mother, the way he respected his father um, at the event itself. And sat right next to his father, right, sat, I mean, walked his mother in, had her seat at, the, at her chair. They were serving food. He went and got food and gave it to his mother and gave it to his father. And when I saw this, I was really touched. Firstly, because of the khidmah, this very sincere khidmah that he was doing for his mom and dad. But secondly, because this guy is lucky to be alive. And I know this. Because I'm the one that took the call from his mother where he almost OD'd. This very same young man. He almost died. And his mother called me. He had been arrested and the whole rap sheet, you can say it all. And at one point, I mean, the situation got so bad. It was a very bad situation, unfortunately. At one point, their parents came to visit me all the way in Dallas. And they sat in my house. And they said, Sheikh, what do we do next? So I said, you know, let him live his own life. You can't dedicate, you can't just cancel your whole existence and not do anything. There are choices that he's making and he's accountable for them. And hopefully through you giving him his space, he might grow into something better. Maybe he might take ownership of his life. The mother refused. She's a mother. What is she going to do? She refused. And um, when I saw her, that day, she said, Mufti Saab, you never give up on your own kids. And she smiled at me. Mufti Saab, you never give up on your own kids. Five waqt salah namazi. Now, I'm not saying that this is the right approach or that's the wrong approach or what to do is right, what to do is wrong, and there's one way. I mean, these are things that are beyond us. We don't know. 
But what we do know is that when a person has ikhlas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never turns them down. That Allah makes a way for them. In one, one scenario you choose that, in another scenario you choose this. That's your decision to make. You shouldn't feel guilt over what the outcome is. But whatever path you do choose, you have to choose the very, the most sincere one. The one that you are convinced that what you're doing is purely for the sake of Allah, because that's when everything flips. We turn back to the story of Halima Saadiyah. She says that I picked up the child and I came back to my family. I place my chest in front of the child's mouth. Milk began to flow into my chest. It had been days since this happened. Rasulullah the small, tiny baby, cute Rasulullah drank from his mother, Halima Saadiyah, right until he was satisfied. She thought that if this kid drank, let me see if my son will drink. That then his brother, her child, drank as well, and they were both satisfied, and they both went to sleep. She said, my husband and I went to the side, and we lied down as well to go to sleep, and we hadn't slept in days. It was a blessing from Allah that this child already brought, but there was peace in our life. When it came time to head back home, we got our animals ready, and we saw the udders of the animals were full of milk. Unimaginable. How did this happen? So her husband milked the animal. He milked the animal and drank. And then he milked it a second time, and then I drank. And we were all happy. Finally, we had rested. Finally, we had eaten. And both turned to one another and said, what just happened? What is going on here? <clears throat> they didn't realize that everything had changed. With them was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They just picked up the leader of all mankind. The one that will do sajda in front of Allah on the day of judgment and intercede on behalf of all the prophets and all the ummas. They just picked up the final prophet in this dunya to who the entire Qur'an would be revealed. That every person will die to just lay one glance on his face and Halima Saadiya just picked up the jackpot of being lucky to have, a, to have her body a part of his. That she would nurse Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Atadirina ya Halima I think we hit the jackpot on this one. This one's a really good child. When it came time for them to head back, what they noticed was, now they were ahead of the whole caravan, and everyone's saying, you know, isn't this the animal that was struggling to make it to Makkah? How are you guys ahead of us? So she would say, Bala wallahi innahahi. These are the same animals. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has now changed our affair. 
When they arrived to Banu Sa'd, it was still in drought. But because Rasulullah was there, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala miraculously not only took care of the Prophet of Allah, but everyone around Rasulullah as well. So when her animals would head out to graze, they would always come back full after eating to their right until they were satiated and then also be full of milk. And all the other people, their animals would come back hungry without any milk. Until a point that everyone began to say to their shepherds that take our animals where Halima's animals go. But the miracle was for her family. The blessing, the barakah was for her family. They continued to benefit from this barakah until two years came to an end. And during these two years, Halima Sa'adiyah saw miracles. Imam Muwaqidi narrates a narration from Ibn Abbas an, that one day Halima Sa'adiyah went to search for Rasulullah while he was still young. And so Nabi was with the animals and his sister from Halima Sa'adiyah's children was also with him. When she, um, Halima Sa'adiyah approached her daughter, she said, that you guys are goofing around, playing outside in this heat, it's too hot. You're going to get sick. Heat stroke. فَقَالَتْ أُخْتُهُ His sister said, يَا أُمَّهُ مَا وَجَدَ أَخِي حَرًّا رَأَيْتُ غَمَامَةً تَظِلُّ عَلَيْهِ إِذَا وَقَفَ وَقَفَتْ وَإِذَا سَارَ سَارَتْ That my brother right here, no sun has touched him. Throughout the day, there has been that cloud there that shades him. When he walks, it moves along with him. And when he stops, the cloud also pauses. However, at the end of the two years, the nursing had to stop. So it was time for the child to return back to Mecca. With a heavy heart, Halima Sa'adiyah returns back to Mecca Mukarramah. Rasulullah's mother lays eyes on her beautiful child after two years. You can imagine the love, the happiness, the excitement, the joy. Her little munchkin's back. And it's Rasulullah A mother gets excited when she sees her child after a trip. And if you're traveling or you're off somewhere and you return home after a few weeks or after a few months, you know, the mother greets the child with a big smile on their face. When we would return back from Madrasa, my, my, mother would, my father would pick us up from the airport. And on the way back, he would call my mother saying, oh, we're 10 minutes out. So every time, same scene, that we'd pull into the parking lot and barely fixing her hijab standing in the window, looking at us with a big smile. There was a big glass there. She would stand by the counter there with a big smile on her face with the hijab barely straight. And I used to always say to her, mama, fix your hijab. And she would slap me on the head like this. Stop making fun of me. So Rasulullah mother sees her child. But Halima Sa'adiyah had other plans. She wasn't done with this barakah. She needed some more barakah. So she says to Amina, Prophet's mother, how about you send your son back with me for extra time? Amina says, why would I do that? She says, well, the illnesses of Mecca are still around and I have some concerns regarding your son and I feel that if I take care of him a little bit more, he'll grow. 
Because during that two years, Halima Saadiyah says that the Prophet ﷺ really grew in height and in body size. It's as if he was a young boy. He was only two years old. So she says to the mother that if you send him back, I can take care of him more. and He'll be even stronger and even taller and greater. فَلَمْ أَزَلْ بِهَا أُقْنِعُهَا وَأُرَغِبُهَا حَتَّى رَدَّتْهُ مَعَنَا Amina kept hearing what her son could be and how it would benefit her son. And she placed a boulder on her heart and went against every desire and dream that she had and said to Halima that if it's good for my son, then take him. I'll bear the pain of separation for a little longer. Halima Saadiya says, فَرَجَعْنَا بِهِ فَرِحِينَ مُسْتَبَشِرِينَ We were sight. Super excited that, oof, he's coming back with us. The barakah shall continue. When they arrived back to their hometown, some days had passed, some months had passed. One day Rasulullah was outside of the house looking after some of the sheep as they were grazing and his brother was with him. And then all of a sudden, Halima Saadiyah's son runs back home and he begins to shout to his mom and dad that, come, come quickly, my Qureshi brother, two people have taken him and they are, they are wearing white garments. They put him flat on the ground and they split open his chest. فَانْتَلَقْتُ أَنَا وَزَوْجِي we begin to rush Halima Saadiyah and her husband. We saw him terrified and the color in his face had changed. So my husband immediately hugged him and brought him close to his chest. And we asked him what happened. He said, two men approached me wearing white garments and they had me lie down and they split open my chest and they took something out and then they um, sealed my chest back up. And in one riwayah, they put some, they filled his heart with wisdom and washed his heart. This incident is referred to the incident of Shaqqus Sadr, the splitting of the chest of Rasulullah. Anas bin Malik radiallahu an, uh, said, and this statement of his can be found in Imam Dahabi rahmatullahi alayhi sir ala man nubala. قَدْ كُنْتُ أَرَىٰ أَثَرَ الْمَخِيْتِ فِي صَدْرِهِ I can see the sign of stitching in the chest of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. قَدْ كُنْتُ أَرَىٰ أَثَرَ الْمَخِيْتِ فِي صَدْرِهِ Most of the scholars are of the opinion that the shaqqu sadr was not just ma'nawi, rather it was actually hissi. It was something physical. It was a real, it was, it was real. It wasn't just an idea, it wasn't just symbolism that Shaqqus Sadr represented a spiritual cleaning. They say no, it was actually hissi, it was a real thing. And the words of the hadith that can be found in Sahih Muslim and other places show that two angels came with white garments, they had me lie down. And then Anas bin Malik saying that his chest was split open. And then this was the first of many times this would happen. The, 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 there are four incidents where Shaqqus Sadr uh, is narrated to have occurred. One is with Halima Saadiya. The second one uh, reported is uh, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was 10 years of age. The third one that Ahlul Siyar have reported is 
before the Prophet received his first revelation. And the fourth one, which is actually quite a Sahih narration, the fourth one is right before Rasulullah departed on the journey of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. So this happened more than once. From our um, recent times, among the scholars who held the position that this was something ma'nawi, is a position attributed to and actually stated by Sheikh Muhammad Al-Ghazali in his book Fiqh al-Sirah. And I always have to say this, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Ghazali is very different. He is a different human being from Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali. Imam Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali is a classical scholar. He is the author of the Ihya Ulum al-Din. Muhammad Al-Ghazali is a different person. Imam Ghazali did not go to Oxford. Muhammad Al-Ghazali did. Muhammad Al-Ghazali wrote in English. Imam Abu Hamid Al-Ghazali did not write in. He did not write in English. Okay? These are two different people. Sheikh Muhammad Al-Ghazali is quite uh, an intelligent scholar. And his, some of his writings are very beautiful. One of his books that I enjoy very much, and we actually read it with the sisters uh, in our Saturday halaqahs when we're doing tafsir, is his, um, uh, his tafsir of the Qur'an. He has a one-volume tafsir mawdu'i. It's, um, it's a topical tafsir of the Qur'an. Very beautiful. It's one volume in very good English. It's an, it's an original work of his. But even in there, you can see Sheikh Muhammad al-Ghazali has some ideas that seem to be more modern. For example, he um, denies the um, uplifting of Sayyidina Isa salam into the heavens. He says this actually did not happen, even though it goes against not only the interpretation of the Salaf, but it's in the Quran as well. Allah says, بَلْ رَفَعَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَيْهِ So in this masala as well, he says that Prophet did not experience a physical splitting of the chest. He equates it to the ayah of the Quran, Alam nashrah laka sadrak, where there Allah says, Did we not open your chest and open your breast for you? Did we not? So there, most scholars interpret this as, Did we not lift the burden from you? So he says, That's ma'nawi, that's not physical. So therefore, this is similar to that. And then he says, Rasulullah spoke in majaz. And there are many examples of this. Majaz meaning not literal. The Prophet ﷺ spoke in majaz. He, he cites the riwayah of Aisha radiallahu anha. Anna ba'da azwaj al-Nabi ﷺ qulna ya Rasulullah ayyuna asra'u bika luhuqan qala atwalu kunna yadan. Nabi ﷺ, they asked him, O Messenger of Allah, who will be the first of us, your wives, to join you after you depart this dunya? So Nabi ﷺ said, the one with the longest arm. So then Aisha radiallahu says, we begin to measure our arms. فَكَانَتْ سَوْدَةُ أَطْوَلُهُنَّ يَدًا Sauda radiallahu anha actually had the longest reach. However, later on we found out that it wasn't the length that the Prophet was speaking about. Nabi sallallahu was speaking about charity, those that give the most. Because then uh, it was Zainab radiallahu anha, Umul Masakin, who actually passed away first from the wives of Rasulullah sallallahu So he uses this as his argument. However, as I mentioned, the position of the Jamhur al-Ulama uh, from Salaf and Khalaf, from the earlier scholars and the latter, is that uh, this incident in reality of Shaq al-Sadr was from the miracles of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Min al-Irhasat. Irhas refers to a miracle that occurs with a prophet prior to prophethood. Not to be confused with mu'jizah. 
Mu'ajza is a miracle that occurs after revelation. Any, revel any miracle that occurs prior to revelation is referred to as irhas, irhas. And then after revelation, we call it mu'ajza. وَذَلِكَ فَضْرُ اللَّهِ يُؤْتِيهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ ذُو الْفَضْرِ الْعَظِيمِ Halima Sa'adiyah and her husband um, decided that it was wise for them to take the child back to the mother. What if something's wrong? What if the child needs help? We are better when people, we know how to nurse the child, we know how to take care of our animals, we can do the basics of life, but something sophisticated like this, if we need physicians, if we need doctors, we're not equipped for this. We need to take the child back. So then they arrive back to Mecca Mukarramah and Halima Saadiya, she presents the child back to the mother. Amina says that, what's going on here? Just a few months back, you were begging me to take him back and now you are insisting that I should keep him? So then she says, no, everything's good. He's healthy now. I was worried about his health. He looks good. Time's up. I don't want him being away from his mother. That's not a fair thing to... It's not a good idea that he spends extra time away from his mother. So then Amina says to her, Usduqini al-khabar. Tell me the tell me the truth. And Amina kept insisting until Halima Halima Saadiya then spoke the truth that this is actually what happened. So at that point, Amina took her child, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and brought the child close to her and said, Kalla wallahi ma alayhi min sabil. No shaitan will ever be able to touch my baby. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made my child special. Should I tell you why? Halima Saadiya says, sure. Amina responds that when I was pregnant with him, I saw a light emitting from me that was so special, it was so strong that it brought light to the, the palaces of Busra in the land of Sham. And then when I gave birth to him, he exited my womb. Nazala wadi'an yadehi al ard. He placed his hands on the ground. With his head elevated to the heavens. In one narration, Nabi Sallallahu after he was born, he placed his hands on the ground and put his forehead on the ground and then lifted his head to the heavens. He started his time in the dunya with a small miniature sajda, a tiny sajda for a tiny baby. Then he raised his head like this to the heavens. And in one riwayat of Nukathir, there was a light that spread everywhere. In one narration, the wet nurse says that when Rasulullah was born, she says, I saw the stars come close to the house. Later on, the Prophet explained that these were actually the malaika that came for this special moment. You know that 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 word of Pakistani Natana Ukate Jashne Ahmad Rasul Allahi Allah. It's a famous um, uh, uh, a poem they sing in, in the Pakistani culture. Usmeek uh He says uh, there's one line in there that's so beautiful. He says, 
चेहरा मुस्तफ़ा जब दिखा दिखा चेहरा मुस्तफ़ा जब दिखाया गया झुक गए तारे और चांद शर्मा गया चेहरा मुस्तफ़ा जब दिखा दिखाया गया झुक गए तारे और चांद शर्मा गया वन दी फेस ऑफ रसोल्लाजील फॉर द फर्स्ट टाइम द स्टार्स बाउ डाउन एंड द मून वॉज शाइड शो इट्स ब्यूटी दैन आई हैव टू रिजाइन नाउ I think my time of being the most beautiful that poets have spoken of it's come to an end we're done time to throw the towel in chuk gaye tare aur chand sharma gaya aamina bibi sabse ye kehne lagi dua ho gayi qabool allah hi allah that aamina began to tell everyone around her that allah accepted my prayers allah accepted my prayers Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was gifted. Now Halima Saadia then returns back home. After she heads back, she returns back to meet Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. How many times did she meet Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam after that day? Well, there are different narrations. There's one riwayah that Imam Suhaili narrates and also you can find it ibn sa'd narrates it too that one time she visited nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam after the prophet married khadija radhiyallahu anha she said o messenger of allah that we are struggling with a severe drought and so were her people so uh, then khadija radhiyallahu anha she was a wealthy person fa'atatha 20 ra'san min ghanam wa bakarat She gave some sheep and goats to Halima Saadia and sent her back as an aid for herself and her people. And then there is the second riwayah that Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi narrates in his Adab al-Mufrad. Imam Abu Dawood also narrates this. Ibn Hibban rahmatullahi alayhi narrates this as well. From Abu Tufail. Ra'aytu an-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqsimu lahman bil-ji'rana. That outside Bakr al-Karamah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was distributing some meat. Wa ana yawma idhin ghulamun. And I was a young child at the time, ahmilu udwa al-ba'ir. Fa aqbalat imra'atun badawiyatun. And while Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was giving the meat and some of us were carrying it back, a Bedouin lady approached. We haven't seen her before. Falamma danat min Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam when she came close to the Prophet of Allah. Basata laha rida'ahu. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam stood up and put his garment on the ground. Fajalasat alayhi and she sat on it and she was close to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and they spoke. And they spoke for some time. When she got up to leave, fasaltu man hadhihi Abu Tufail said I asked who was this lady? Never seen her before and Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam honoring her like this. Qalu ummuhu allati arda'atu. They said this was her mother Halima Saadia. who nursed Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he was very young similarly from her from her children her daughter Judama or in one pronunciation Judama she also interacted with Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had sent some soldiers who attacked the people of Hawazin Taif on the map you saw earlier that it's not too far from Taif Banu Sa'd 
So they captured some prisoners. When the prisoners were presented to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one of them, she said, Ana ukhtu sahibikum. I am the sister of your leader, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The companion said the Prophet didn't have any brother or sister. What are you on about? فَلَمَّا قَدِمُوا عَلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ قَالَتْ يَا مُحَمَّدٍ أَنَا أُخْتُكَ She came to Rasulullah وسلم, and she said, O Messenger of Allah, I am your sister. In one riwayah, the Prophet وسلم, a weaker riwayah, the Prophet asked her, what is your proof? So then in one narration, she began to sing poetry. The Prophet remembered her for her poetry because she would sing a lot of poetry even when she was young. Maybe Sallallahu recognized her. The lines were similar. And in one narration, she said that one day I was carrying you and you bit me on my shoulder. I have the mark of that till today. So Rasulullah sallallahu he welcomed her in he had her sit next to him on his sheet and the two of them sat together crying. وَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ نَبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم said إِنْ أَحْبَبْتِي فَأَقِيمِي عِنْدِي that why don't you, if you'd like, why don't you stay with me? You will be honored and beloved. But if you want, you can head back to your people where you are from. قَالَتْ قَلْ أَرْجِعُ إِلَىٰ قَوْمِي She said, I will head back to my people. فَأَسْلَمَتْ And she accepted Islam. وَعَطَاهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ ثَلَاثَ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave her three slaves and a maiden and some animals back and sent her home. This riwayah is narrated by Abu Umar and also by Ibn Qutaybah. Now regarding Halima Sa'diyah, did she uh, become Muslim or not? Do we say after her name radiyallahu anha or not? A large group of muhaddithun argue adamantly that she was a Sahabiyah. And that is the more correct position. And not only do they argue she was a Sahabiyah, they actually quote some narrations. Like for example, the story of, the whole story that she narrates about her nursing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They quote these narrations. Look, she narrated this riwayah, she narrated this riwayah, she narrated this riwayah. So you'll find the scholars of Ma'rifat al-Sahaba the, the scholars who specialize in biographical works of the companions, they do list her name there. Even today when I was preparing, I opened up Abu Naim al-Isfahani's Ma'rifat al-Sahaba and he lists her there too. And he writes after her name, radiyallahu anha. And there's a long list of scholars who are of the opinion that Halima Sa'diyah was a, she did accept Islam. As for where she is buried, there are three opinions. One position is that she's buried somewhere in Basra. This seems to be a very far-fetched position. The second position is, that's commonly known, is that she's buried in Baqia. This is also a questionable position because there's no report of her relocating to Medina Munawwara. The more appropriate position is that somewhere near her tribe, um, I believe I told you the, guy, the place's name was? Maysan. Did you find it on Google Maps? Was it there? Yeah. A place called Maysan. One of the recent scholars was a researcher, he actually wrote a maqala on this. And he, because he was trying to refute the claim that Halima Sa'diyah is buried in Baqiyah. 
And while um, researching this issue further, he came to the conclusion that it was outside of her tribe, not too far away where there's a famous classical historical graveyard, she is buried there. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate her maqam. As for her exact date of death, it is unknown. Um, however, her legacy continues. Her legacy is found in the works of every Sira book. And what is her legacy? To trust the orphan. To not turn away from someone that seems to be disadvantaged. And how if you turn to those that are in need, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of your needs. And on that note, what advice I give to all of you, and this is something that each of you can act on. If you can't act on this, let us know, then we should be giving you zakat. Provide for an orphan every day. Take out some money and give it to a cause where an orphan can be provided for. These days, you can feed an orphan for a whole day, three dollars. I've seen uh, flyers that three dollars you can feed an orphan for a whole day. Is that right, Hawaiian? Three dollars, did I say it correct? Yeah. Hawaiian's our fundraiser back there. MashaAllah, he knows the numbers. So three dollars a day, what is that, a thousand dollars a year? Just give or take? That's nothing, alhamdulillah. Thousand dollars in a whole year? And even if you don't have money, you should go and get a job and work and wash cars just for that thousand dollars. So you can get the ajr of it. For as long as you keep providing for others, Allah will take care of you. One of my teachers once said, you should never eat a meal at home without ensuring that somewhere else in the world an orphan is eating with you. People ask, what can I do? This is what you can do. How do I thank Allah for all the food in my freezer and my pantry and for all the food in my fridge? This is how you thank Allah. You go to Humayun and give him a thousand dollars. But here's a thousand dollars. Go and give it to the orphans of the world. Go to any charity, it doesn't matter. So many of them, alhamdulillah, that, are, that have these amazing uh, causes. Go and provide for the orphans and take care of them. May Allah Azawajal accept from us all and grant us tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.